0: Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. It is my pleasure to introduce our speaker for today, and it's Jeff Mahan. He is a friend of Greg. I don't know how you kept being a friend of his, but anyway, he's a friend nonetheless. So please give a welcome to Jeff Mahan. So, I don't know if you are listening to the announcements very well, but I think her name is Melissa, said that if she is giving the gift to you, you are not, she is not your secret sister. Did you catch that? Which means, if another lady gives the gift to you, your secret sister is probably Melissa. Okay. Oh, yeah. So, um, so I, you know, like... I, I like spy movies and all that type of stuff, so Melissa, you're in trouble. But, um, so I thought I'd throw that hint out there in case you're curious to who your secret sister is. Um, secondly, I'll say this. Financial peace was life-changing for me. Okay? They didn't ask me to talk about that, but um, it was life-changing to me, and I love now having a conversation where my wife goes, Hey, babe, can we buy this? And I go, Hey, we've been saving up for that for like three months or six months or two years. Go for it. And um, so, anyways, free plug on financial peace. Um, it's been life-changing for me also. Okay. You guys, the last time I preached here, I thought that was my last message ever. And, um, and Greg texted me said, Hey, this is Chemo Boy. So it's his nickname. And uh, he's like, Could you preach for me? And I said, Sure. And then, honestly, afterwards, I'm like, Why did I say sure? Like, what happened? You know?" Because I feel like I'm way out of... Um, Way out of practice. It's kind of uncomfortable, but we're gonna do the best. I'm gonna do the best I can. Hopefully, you're gonna listen the best you can. And so um, let's kind of dive in. Okay. Um, Have you ever been in a situation? You've gone to a place and you're anticipating what's going to happen, and you're not looking forward to it. Okay. So maybe you're going to a who knows? Maybe you're going to a, a board meeting of some organization you're part of, and you're anticipating the conflict, or maybe you're anticipating the judgment, or maybe maybe you're a college student and you're coming back from college and you're going home, and you're anticipating your mom and dad asking you, like, what have you been eating, and all that type of stuff, right? And so you're anticipating some potential negative conversation. Has that happened? Yes. Okay. Um, another example could be this. Maybe you've met somebody new, okay? And it could be, like, a new neighbor. It could be a new coworker, It could be a new church member. It could be somebody you met online dating. I have no idea. I don't even care. Okay, But you've met somebody new, and it's a potential friend or something like that, and you're just hoping they learn enough of the good stuff about you before they hear the rest of your story. Okay? So um, I'm actually a pretty outgoing person. I meet lots of strangers and talk to them. But the one place I don't like to meet people... Is on the airplane, okay? Um, And again, airplane. I try to do my best. I'm not interested in you face, so people will not talk to me. Um, Sometimes I'll just put like, like um, earbuds in my ears with no music because that is nonverbal language. Don't talk to me. And the reason why I don't, I I don't talk to people on the plane is because if you meet somebody and the first five minutes does not go well, you're stuck with them for hours right? And so I was just on my trip to Hawaii and um, came back and I had like, this whole game plan that says don't talk to me. And honestly, it worked so well. It was a very nice flight. But so sometimes we have these things where, like we don't want people to know all of our story because we don't, we don't know how it's going to go or more likely we kind of know how it's going to go, okay? We know that it's going to be like Maybe some judgment or some shame or some like, ah, they're rolling their eyes. And you're going to like, it's going to hurt inside. Well, today we're going to look at a conversation that kind of starts out like that or had the potential, okay, from this woman's point of view. So we're in John chapter 4, and um, I'm going to read that to you. I'm not sure if i was supposed to provide slides for you guys or not, but I did not, okay? So here we go. John chapter 4, it says this. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, But it gives a clarification. Although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour, it's about noon. Okay? So I want to kind of set the stage for what's about to take place. Jesus at this time, early in the gospel, he's like this rising religious leader. Now, we know him as the Messiah, okay, as Son of God, but the people there did not know who he was at the time. But he's like this rising religious leader. He's been doing some miracles. Um, He'd recently just like, cast um, castings out of the temple. And so he's this rising religious leader, Jewish religious leader, and he's in Samaria. okay. In Samaria, and the Jews don't get along. okay. There a lot of uh, tension between the two, um, they have some religious stuff in common, but they disagree on certain things. And so bottom line, here's how it kind of started out. So back in the Old Testament, you have the nation of Israel, and then it splits, right? And you have Judah down below, and you have Israel on the south, north, also called Samaria. And eventually, both nations are disobedient, and another country, Assyria, comes through and just wipes out the, the northern kingdom, Okay. And the Assyrians and the Jewish people in the northern kingdom actually ended up, like, getting married and having kids, and that was against the rules, because it supposed to stay within, within the Jewish c- country. And so you have like, this new group of people called the, Samar- the Samaritans, okay? And the people in the southern kingdom looked at the people in the northern kingdom, the Samaritans, with, like, um, disdain. You know, they, 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 they were, like, just half-Jewish, right? And then they also had arguments over, like, where they are supposed to worship? The Jewish people who had the temple said they're supposed to worship at the temple. Well, the Samaritans can't worship the temple because that's not in their country. So they said that they should worship on this mountain. And then actually, there's, there's like a history of tension between the two people. In fact, it was kind of so nasty that a Jewish person thought if they touched something a Samaritan had touched, that they were unclean. How much picture would that be like growing up and going through life? Every time a Jewish person came into contact with you, he had to go wash his hands. Okay? <laughs> or, like, you invite—this would not happen because it begins the rules, but it's, hypothetically, if you invite them over for dinner, they show up with their own utensils. Like, nah, we don't use your plates. You know, I got my own special plates, right? And so, this idea was like, if, if they used their utensils, they'd be unclean, and if they're unclean, they couldn't go to the temple and worship. And so, do you see how over time how this would cause you to feel like you were less than? Like you'd be annoyed by if every time somebody, this Jewish person came in contact with you, they felt that they were unclean, hence you were unclean? So, this is the, kind of the context of what's going on here, okay? Um, okay. So, let's move on. Next page. So, a woman from Samaria, verse 7, came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Isn't that interesting? So, when I first read this, first I'm like, Jesus is kind of like bossy, Okay? Give me a drink, right? But that's actually not the intent here, okay? Um, so Jesus is at the well about noon, and this lady comes up, and uh, she's coming up to get water at noon, and which would not be the normal time to get water, um, usually because it's hotter during the day, but you kind of, could you imagine actually having to go and get water at a well and carry it home? Could you imagine? Like, I really like running water. Even though my water bill is too high, I appreciate running water. And, um, but this lady, if you had to get so she'd have to go every day, load up water, and bring it back. And so usually, you'd go in the morning when it was cooler, but she was there during noon. We're not exactly sure, but we could—maybe there's some assumptions, and once again, it's an assumption that maybe she was trying to avoid the crowds of the other ladies. Now, we know later on that she's got a story, right? And so maybe she wants to—in um, fact, she's had five husbands, okay? Okay. That's way more than she probably wanted, right? But she got five husbands, and she's sleeping with, I mean, she's with another man now, okay? And so maybe when all the ladies go to the well, she kind of knows what she's going to expect from all the other ladies, right? Like, there's a, she may, maybe she's trying to avoid, like, the whole gossip group. We, you know, we, we don't know. Maybe the Baptist prayer meeting. Um, I used to go to a Southern Baptist church, okay? I can make jokes about my own group, okay? So, um, so you know, pray for Aunt, Pray for Patty. She's such a good woman, but we know that she's so loose, and we need to pray for her, right? So Baptist prayer meetings, okay? So um, so maybe she's going to avoid the gossip. We have no idea, okay? But she's there, and she sees this Jewish religious leader come up to, him, to, come to her. You can only imagine how she's feeling like, ah, oh, crud. I was trying to avoid people, and now I have a Jewish guy, religious leader on top of this, and he's going to come talk to me, and... He's probably going to have to wash his hands 20 times because we're stuck at the well together. And there's this whole mentality, like, this is going to go so poorly. But instead, Jesus asks her for a drink, which kind of violates all the, the cleanliness religious codes, right? And so, she's, you know, so this Jewish male comes up. She's anticipating rejection and judgment and maybe just too much attitude. And instead, Jesus treated her with respect and dignity. Jesus' act of asking for water from her was actually showing her respect and dignity. He was honoring her as a person. She had the ability to help him. She had the ability to contribute. As we look at the rest of this conversation, I think you'll find that she realizes the respect being shown to her, and she gets the most from that moment. Okay? Okay. Right, so many times um, we wonder how to interact with people that are different than us. Okay, and in this passage here, you have two people that are completely different: man, woman, God, human. Right? Perfect, complicated story. We don't know what it is, but you have two different, completely different things, here, people here, and Jesus shows her with respect and dignity. And I also want you to consider the fact that by asking somebody for help actually can be honoring. Sometimes the best way, guys, the best way to get to know your neighbor is to ask your neighbor for help. Now, this goes against the guy code, I know. We don't ask for help. But when we ask our neighbor for help, they're honored, right? So here we go. Let's move on. So verse 10 says this. So Jesus answered her, So she's like, hey, how come you're asking me for water? And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink. If you knew who I am, you would have asked me or him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. And the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? That cracks me up. He's like, hey, if you knew who I was, I'd be giving you living water. She's like, you have no bucket, right? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So what I want you to see here is this. that Jesus is turning this conversation into a spiritual direction. Jesus is inviting her into a spiritual conversation. So he's talking to her about giving. He asks her first to give water, and then he's leading that conversation into eternal life. Right? He's like, I have water that, you want eat, that you will, uh, you'll want to be thirsty again. He's talking in spiritual terms. So water was often both used in the Jewish and in the Samaritan circles to refer to God's revelation, the covenant, God's spirit. And he's saying, like, we've, just, like you have to, just like you have to come every day to get water, in the Old Testament covenant, there were things you had to keep doing, right? In the New Testament, Jesus comes and he's going to pay the price for our sin. It's a new covenant, new relationship, eternal forgiveness. We sang earlier that um, his mercy is more, right? Like, this, like, It's fulfilled, right? We don't have to keep going through some rituals to have this relationship. And so he's talking about a completely different type spiritual relationship. Don't you get this again? We have the Samaritan woman with the story we're going to get to, and we have Jewish religious leader. This is not the type of conversation Jewish religious leaders have with women. This would be totally unexpected. Picture the CEO of the company you work with. Okay, so you go to the cafeteria, you go to McDonald's, I don't know, you go to lunch, and the CEO of your company sits down next to you. Okay, so just pretend you work for Tesla, okay, and you go to, I don't think Elon Musk eats McDonald's, you go to Chipotle, okay, and Elon Musk, the CEO of Tesla, shows up at Chipotle, and you're wearing the little name badge, Tesla employee, right, I don't know if they have one, but let's just pretend, and he's like, hey, Bob, how are you doing? Bob's like, doing good. It's like, I see you work for my company. Yes, I do. And I work hard. He's like, you know, I've been thinking about changing direction for our company. What do you think, Bob? Could you imagine that conversation? You're like, I just answered the phone, right? And Elon Musk is having this conversation with you about the future Tesla. I'm thinking about d- delivering a truck, right? That's what he, te- he keeps telling us. Well, this is what Jesus is doing. He's having a conversation with somebody who's not used to getting respect from Jewish men. So, if you're having that conversation, you might freeze, you might be nervous. Maybe you seize the moment. Maybe you tell Elon Musk exactly what he needs to do with the company. Well, I think she recognizes this. She's feeling respect, she's feeling safe with Jesus. And I think she seizes the moment. She notices that he's not afraid of being contaminated by her. He's engaging her in a spiritual conversation. You know, I think a lot of times when we're dealing with people different than us spiritually, that we assume they can't handle spiritual conversations. I think we're wrong. Okay? Jesus is having this conversation with this lady. I think we can have a conversation with people in our lives if we respect them enough to give them the opportunity to engage, learn, and, and teach us. They have spiritual conversations, but they may not use the words that you use. Right? If you talk to somebody, you, may, you pop out the word, you know, like um, reconciliation, or sanctification, or justification, or depravity of man, that's an exciting concept. If you bring up those conversations, they're not going to use those. They're going to have different terms. Like, life is hard. Like, what's the point? What's important? We're not getting along. These are all spiritual issues. They might have different beliefs, but ultimately, we all have the basic same basic spiritual problems. As was mentioned earlier in our prayer service, even when we're Christians, we still have the same basic problems. I'm a Christian, been Christian for like, gosh, forty-four years. I was a pastor for twenty years. I'm a therapist now, and I have the same basic spiritual problems my neighbor does. I am prideful. I'm selfish. I'm impatient. I don't trust God with my future, right? I want, to do, I want to run my own, I want to be in charge, right? And that's think like the same basic problem everybody has. Because when we do all those things, we get ourselves into trouble. And so, what, as we learn from Jesus, when we encounter people that are different than us, we show them respect, we show them dignity, and we actually, we can engage with them in conversations and spiritual matters. We don't assume that we know so much more, and they are so below us that they won't understand, that just reeks of arrogance. Okay? So how does she respond? So Jesus talks about this living water. He approaches her. But I don't think in this case she understands. She's kind of focused more in the here and now. Right? She says, you know, you don't have tools to get the water. Um, and she's thinking, if you can give me this living water, then I don't keep coming back to the Well, so I think there's two things going on. One, she's kind of more focused on her present needs. Which, by the way, is probably exactly how we operate most of the time in our lives, if we're honest, and our neighbors, and the people that are different than us. But at the same time, I think she recognizes, like, hey, there's some spiritual stuff going on here. So I'm going to ask him my big spiritual question. And so she goes to the next part of the story, verse 16. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband, and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband. For you have, five, you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your, your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Now, how do you get this, you guys? When Jesus met this woman... he already knew her story. At the very beginning of the message, I mentioned the fact that sometimes we meet somebody new and we hope that they will learn the good stuff about us before the bad stuff. When Jesus meets us, he knows the whole story. It doesn't scare him away. He engages with us. And he pursues us. Now, you guys, I think, okay, Clearly, if you were to list, like, the top most important things about Jesus, what I'm about to say is probably not in the top five or ten, okay? But honestly, I think it's one of the coolest things about Jesus, okay? Somehow, he is able to speak the truth about our lives, and people don't get offended. Don't you wish you could do that? I wish I could tell my wife, hey, babe, that's not my favorite dress, and she would not get offended, but I don't have that ability. And by the way, she doesn't have that ability either because I get offended, okay? Like a, like a seven-year-old boy, I get hurt, my feelings hurt at times, okay? But Jesus just says, hey, go call your husband. And she's like, you know, she's thinking, ah, crud, right? And and, um, and she's like, um, I, don't, I don't have a husband. And she, he's like, yeah, I know, you've had five. And the guy you're with now is not your husband, right? And, and, and here's what's cool about this, Ready? She doesn't freak out. There's something about how Jesus talks. And if the church could get this, I think it could solve a lot of problems for our communities. If we could figure out how to talk to people in such a way that they're not offended. like that, I think, honestly, I think he just exudes so much love that when he tells us the truth, we don't feel rejected. And what her response is not, don't go there. Or shut up, her response is, I perceive you're a prophet. Okay? Isn't that amazing? I perceive that you're a prophet. Now, a lot of times in church history, we kind of talked about how we thought this woman was like maybe sexually busy, okay? Um, promiscuous, is that a better term, okay? But the reality is this the passage gives no indication about that. He never addresses any sin in this passage. In other stories, he does. So I was thinking about this. Why would somebody get married five times? There's some of you thinking, once is enough. If you've been divorced, one divorce is enough. Well, culturally, she probably got married at a young age. The first marriage was often um, arranged by her parents. Sometimes young women got married to old men. Okay? So we don't really know. But maybe some of them died. Maybe some of them divorced her. In her culture, she didn't have the freedom to get a divorce. A man would have had to divorce her. So she probably experienced a lot of grief. Maybe a lot of rejection. Some fighting, I'm sure. If you've been married, you know sometimes we fight. Um, Distrust maybe pushing people away. So why would she keep getting married? You know, honestly, she probably needed financial help. and that culture, there wasn't a lot of options for women at the time, right? She couldn't say, well, I'm going to be a single woman and I'm going to manage my own company. That was not really an option. Maybe she was just seeking somebody she wanted to love. Or maybe she wanted someone to love her and she hadn't given up. We really have no idea. But I think we could all safely assume that going through five spouses is going to take its toll. Is that fair enough? Okay. Um, She might have recovered. She might be in a healthy spot. But she wasn't the same person she was five marriages ago. And I want you guys to see this that when when you encounter Jesus, remember he already knows your story and he's seeking you. So, this woman saw this Jewish leader approach her, and she's anticipating rejection and attitude because of this cultural, religious conflict. And he shows her respect. And he starts engaging with her in a spiritual conversation, which is even more respectful because women weren't able to have those conversations with with men. And she's beginning to really like this guy. And all of a sudden, Jesus points out, he's like, I know your story. And somehow he's able to do that in a certain way where she doesn't feel rejected. And so... She asks him a spiritual question. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. But you say, I mean Jewish people, you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. See, she's, she's feeling free to ask a question. She's like, hey, he cares. He listens. I've got this question I've always wanted answered. And so she asks him. And Jesus says to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do you worship what you do not know, referring that the Samaritans don't have the full truth. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking people for seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. She was concerned, she was focused on the performing the right rituals. Which place do we worship? Which is the correct place? And Jesus moves from those, from the rituals, the details, to the real nature of worship. The worship isn't just going through the motions, checking out the boxes of some religious list. Worship is giving our soul, our spirit, and the real you to God. Worship is about being honest before God. And worship is focused on the truth of who Jesus is. So she shows up and she's like, Hey, we got this debate. Everybody's arguing about where to worship. And he like, he's like, none of that honesty matters. Things are changing. He knows they're changing. He's bringing the change. Things are changing. And what's really going to matter is the truth and the spirit of your worship. You know, during worship today, um, I've noticed this, but one uh, of the song selection, some of the songs have been written, like, the last three years. Okay? And I'll be honest, those are the songs I kind of gravitate to at this point in my life. But the one song was written by Fanny Crosby. I forget how old that is, but I'm going to guess about 150 years old, it's my guess. Um, am I right on that one? Melissa, are you here? Oh, Melissa left. Okay, fine. She's probably prepping for financial peace. But, um, so, but it's an older song, okay, by Fanny Crosby. I forget the story, but that's what I used to worship when I was 12, okay? That song. And so, but ultimately, it's about spirit and truth. It's not about the details. It's not about the time the song was written. Down about... It's not about the type of beat that's in song. It's about spirit and truth, right? And that's what he's telling her. And they want you to get her response. This is so cool. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. So we don't know if she agrees with Jesus or disagrees with Jesus, but what she does recognize is that somebody, the Messiah who is all-knowing, will tell us. And he knows all things. Just the other day, I was having a conversation with my son, and um, he's like, "Dad, there aren't a lot of places in the Bible where Jesus says that He's the Son of God. Have you noticed that? We all know he is. There's tons of like veiled references to it. We can connect some of the statements, all the, all the "I am" statements, I am the gate, I'm the shepherd, I'm this." and they all point to the Messiah. But check this out, verse twenty six. So she says the Messiah will know all these things. Okay, and then Jesus says this. Jesus said to her, verse twenty six, "I who speak to you am He." This is really rare. Well, Jesus is that that direct, and it's to a Samaritan woman. It says not to a Jewish Pharisee, you know, at the temple. He's like totally in a different direction. He told her, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one everyone is looking for. I'm the one who you said will know about worship and reveal God's truth. And just then the disciples came back. It says here that they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said. Nobody asked, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? But something tells me their face Kind of said something. Because the very next verse says this, so the woman left the water jar and went away into town and started talking to the people. You know, sometimes we hear things like, um, I hear "People say like I love Jesus, I just don't like his church." Um, really can't have well. There's a lot in that statement. But in this one story here, we see that how Jesus approaches her, and invites conversation, and when all the disciples, the church shows up, she leaves. I think a lot of times we don't even realize the attitude that we can give off. We might tend to get a little prideful in the fact that we have grace and forget that we all need grace. Right, and I'm not saying this is you. It's probably you guys are probably perfect, okay? But the people out there, the church out there. Um, but I think sometimes it takes a lot of effort to not come across with attitude. And it says here that they marveled, and it says that they didn't ask the questions, which implies that John knew what the questions were because he was one of the disciples. He knew what the questions were, right? They didn't ask, but somehow she leaves right away, and then she goes into town. And it says, oh, wait. So I think that she's reminded of her place in society when they show up. And so she leaves. So there's no doubt as she's going home that she's thinking about this conversation. And here's some thoughts I wrote down He did not treat me like I was dirty or contaminated or unclean, as the terms they used. He treated me with respect. He asked me for help. He offered me living water. She's like, I don't even understand. What's that living water about? I'm going to have to ask about that, right? He talked about worshiping with her. And then she's thinking, he knew my story the whole time. And he still did all that other stuff. And he treated me with respect. And he still asked me to serve him with water. And he claims to be the Messiah. The Messiah knew my story. And he treated me with respect and honor like I had value. There's no need to pretend so the Messiah will like me. He knows my hurt. He knows my mistakes. He knows the difficulties of my life. He knows my sin, which we all have. And he still loves me. That unconditional love is powerful. She gets into town, and this is what she says. This is a statement I don't think I will ever make. Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? If there was somebody out here who knew my entire life, I would not invite you to meet him. <laughs> is that fair enough? Right? Because there's some stuff that I'm embarrassed about. You know, I, There's some stuff that, like, that, that I don't want in public. I'm a sinner saved by grace. There's things I'm like embarrassed about, right? But somehow this lady had this encounter with Jesus and she comes, her statement is, you gotta come see this guy who knows everything about my life. And they're like, we do, right? And, but she's so excited about it. It says that they show up and they actually begin to follow Jesus also. And then later on, I'm paraphrasing for the second time, but later on it says that we believed that you were the Messiah because you knew everything about this lady's life, and now we believe you based on what we've heard. That's, that's, that is ultimately that isn't like the, the whole goal of discipleship, right? But what I want you to see here is that how Jesus approached her and the the dignity and the respect and the care changed how she responded. So why are we looking at this story today? First of all, as Followers of Jesus. We need to treat people with respect, dignity, and value. Even if they're not measuring up to God's standards. Because we're not either. I mean, honestly, do you think you're really living the exact life Christ wants you to live? No. I'm not speaking out of judgment because it's the same thing for me. We're all like the same boat. Okay? We may not understand their decisions, Yeah. You know what? I don't even understand half the decisions I make. Sometimes I just do things. I'm like, how in the world did I get here? The power of God is displayed when people are loved in their mess. It's really easy to love the pretty people. God's... God's power is displayed when people are loved in their mess, not when they've accepted after they're cleaned up. Romans 5.8 says, But God showed his love in us, for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So when God meets your coworker or your friend or your neighbor on their path of life, wherever they're at in their life, God knows their story and he loves them. So then the question is, will you live like Jesus and do the same? Second point. I want you to know that God already knows your story. He knows the things you struggle with. He knows the regrets that you have. He knows the hopes that you have. And the dreams you have. He knows the hurts that you have. He knows your whole story. Jesus understands we struggle with sin. That's the exact reason why He came to die on the cross for us. He covered what we couldn't. Jesus also knows your pain, your hurt, your broken dreams, your weary soul. He knows your stuff and he loves you. It's so funny. Well, it's not. I guess it's funny. It depends on how you look at it. It's funny or annoying or just sad. But when I sin, the Holy Spirit says, Come to Jesus, right? And here's what I think I better clean myself up before I go to Jesus, right? Like, I should attend church more before I start praying or I should pray more before I do this or I should I should do something right so I make a mistake the Holy Spirit says go to Jesus and I say I need to clean myself up first it's still totally opposite the Bible right opposite what I learned in seminary but it's what my brain thinks and here's why because if I don't clean myself up when I approach Jesus he's going to judge me that's the thought process has anybody else thought like this before Okay, so you know, like let's say, let's say you struggle with, um, let's say you struggle with gambling. Okay, so I live uh, there's a casino near where I live. Okay, I forget what it's called. It doesn't even matter the name. But let's say you struggle with gambling. Okay, and and you know that you shouldn't be doing that because it totally violates the rules of financial peace. By the way, but let's say you you struggle with gambling and you've been let's say you've been like, um, actually when we'll, we'll say we'll we'll call it clean. Okay, in the addiction world they say they're clean. They're sober, right? They're they've been sober for six months from gambling. And then all of a sudden something happens, and boom—you just spent two hundred bucks, and you've lost two hundred dollars. And you're like, "Gosh, I need to." And the Holy Spirit says, "Go to Jesus." And in your brain, you're like, "No, I need to be sober for two months before I can go to Jesus." That's how most of us operate. I got to get cleaned up before I can go and pray to Jesus. I got to prove my worth. Right? I, don't want to be, I want to show up to Jesus and go, Hey, Jesus, I know I made a mistake, but I'm too much clean. Right? That, that's what we want. That's what we all want to do. But it's exactly the opposite of what the whole Bible is about. right? And so what I want you to know, that when you mess up, and you're going to mess up because you're human, and he knows this, that he knows your whole story Already. And he's just inviting you to come to him. And on those occasions when I make a mistake, well, on the occasion that I'm aware I've made a mistake, because i make mistakes left and right, okay? But on the times I'm aware of my mistakes and I'm feeling really guilty, and I just go to Jesus and I go, hey, it's me again, same problem. You know what I discover? I don't feel rejected. I don't feel rejected. I might be rejecting me, but Jesus is not rejecting me. He's like, I know, Jeff. I love you. You keep hurting yourself. It's not good. I care about you. Does that make sense? And so I want you to see this thing here, that Jesus knew her whole story. And we don't even say, I'm not even suggesting that the divorces are that she made mistakes, we have no idea, but she's showing up as a broken, hurting person. Okay, I've been through divorce. Trust me, it's painful. Okay, and she's done it five times, or 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 there's or she's the lost five husbands. They've all died. Another whole set of problems, right? And she shows up, and she's expecting rejection. And Jesus knows her whole story already, and He has a conversation with her. He includes her by asking her to give him water. He has a spiritual conversation. He treats her with dignity and respect. And so my challenge to you is this, that wherever you are at in life, right now, tomorrow, next month, that God knows your story. He knows your stuff and he loves you. You are his creation. You are made in his image. You have value to him. So much that he sent his son to die for you. And when you decide to turn to Jesus, he will love you He will value you. He will treat you with dignity. He will treat you like his son or daughter, like the father did to the prodigal son. Okay? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your unconditional love. And I thank you that you treat us with dignity and respect And not out of ignorance of our story, but you just know our entire story and you still choose us. God, it would be my hope that everybody here would feel the acceptance and the worthiness that this woman at the well felt that day. That the God of the universe wants to engage with them in life and in the spiritual discussion. God, I also ask that everybody here today and myself would treat people the same way. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.